even pro-lifers like myself don't talk a lot about abortion. You could probably count how many times we've, how many times we've discussed abortion on this show. And it's a fractional number. It's, it's a very small number. It's probably under 5% of the episodes I talk about abortion, even though I think that the right to life is the fundamental right. Without the right to life, all other rights become obsolete. And abortion is the killing of an unborn life. I mean, this is the human rights abuse of our lifetime. And it, it, it's, it's what I call my pet topic. It's the topic that I'm most passionate about. It's the topic where I think the fight between good and evil at, at the physical, the moral, and the spiritual level comes to fruition. And if I could, I would talk about abortion in every single episode. I would focus a lot more time than I do talking about abortion. And the reason that I don't is because people don't like to hear about it. Now, now hear me out with what, what I'm saying here. People don't like to hear about it. And the people who don't like to hear about it are actually pro-lifers. And I understand this. Pro-lifers don't like to talk about it because we understand or don't like to hear about it all the time because we actually understand the what it is of the abortion procedure. We understand that a life begins at conception and that's a fully, it's, it's a fully human child in the mother's womb. And then the abortion procedure either su essentially suffocates, it deprives the child of nutrients, it pulls the child apart limb from limb, it injects poison into the baby's heart to induce a heart attack, or it crushes the baby's skull and sucks out the brain. And I say these words, again, feeling somewhat outside of my body because it's really hard to fathom that that happens so often in our nation, that thousands of times a day, little babies are killed for convenience. And that we have allowed this for decades to happen in our country. That over 60 million babies as beautiful as my daughter have been killed. Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them right now. Call 855-768-1883. That's the phone number to call, 855-768-1883. Or if you're like me and you prefer text messaging, the you can text my name, Liz, L-I-Z, to 65532. Again, the phone number is 855-768-1883. Or if you prefer text messaging, you can text Liz to 65532. It's the smart thing to do. And the reason it's the smart thing to do is because who's in the Oval Office right now and how his economic policy and political choices are impacting your wallet and mine. Again, 855-768-1883 or text Liz, L-I-Z to 65532. You're listening to a special edition of The Liz Wheeler Show and the first regularly scheduled episode of the show in a post-Row America. Today, by revisiting some of Liz's most noteworthy moments over the last year, We'll go on a journey to learn how we won the fight to overturn Roe v. Wade. To hear more of The List Wheeler Show each week, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk about Texas. Um, What is happening in Texas right now is absolutely fascinating to watch. So for those of you who may not be following along with the details, Texas passed an abortion bill that bans abortions once a heartbeat of the unborn child can be detected. We all know scientifically this is about six weeks into the pregnancy that a baby's heartbeat can be detected. I actually remember the six-week uh, appointment, ultrasound appointment, when I was pregnant with my daughter. We saw that little heartbeat just beaten, beaten, beaten on the ultrasound. Um, and I, of course, burst into tears. It was incredibly moving to see that little tiny, the size of a pea, smaller than a pea, that little life beating inside of me. Um, In Texas, thank goodness, they have now banned abortions after you can detect a fetal heartbeat. It's called SB8. Um, By the way, 85% of abortions in Texas happen after six weeks. So what we are facing right now in Texas is the majority of abortions have become illegal. Now, you might be asking, well, how on earth is this going to stand? Because I think it's a dozen other states, 12 other states have had pro-life bills, heartbeat bills that are similar to this bill that have been blocked by the courts because of Roe v. Wade. So what makes us think that this bill will stand, uh, stand up to the scrutiny of the Supreme Court? And here's what I will tell you. This bill is different because of the enforcement mechanism of the bill. And what I mean by that is in this bill in Texas, there is what's called a private right to action. This private right to action deputizes private citizens as opposed to government officials, state officials. Private citizens can sue abortion providers or anybody who is complicit in an abortion. So again, instead of in other states, similar bills to this have allowed government officials to sue abortion providers if they break this law. And so it's been almost easy to smack these bills down in the court system because all um, all the abortion provider has to do is say, hey, these government officials are violating Roe v. Wade. But this bill is different because private citizens have standing to sue abortion providers if they are complicit in an abortion. And so it's difficult to know how to stop this bill in the court, at least until some woman who is seeking an abortion has said, hey, I wasn't able to get an abortion because of um, because the abortion provider was scared to commit the abortion because they were scared of being sued. Still, there might be no way to actually identify that private citizen if the private citizen hasn't sued. So it might sound like legalese, and it is legalese, but it's extremely clever. It's extremely clever, and we'll have to see what happened. Abortion providers or abortion proponents in the state had asked the Supreme Court to stop the implementation of this law before it went into effect on September 1st, and so the Supreme Court declined to do so. They simply, I mean, they don't make any statement about it. They just don't take action, at least overnight going into September 1st, Um, and so this already is very different from other states' abortion bills. Now, we're not just talking about abortion providers, by the way. Private individuals can sue anybody who aids or abets an abortion, knowingly aids or abets an abortion. So that means that could be a man who drives a woman to an abortion. That could even be an Uber driver that knowingly drives a woman to an abortion. Anybody who successfully sues another person who's aiding and abetting an abortion would be entitled to at least $10,000. This is a civil lawsuit, by the way. But the one person who may not be sued, let's be very clear about this, because abortion proponents love to spread misinformation, the woman, even if she's seeking an abortion that she knows is illegal, the woman may not be sued. I repeat, the woman may not be sued. Again, how to challenge this in a court is going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch this play out 
because it's hard to know who to sue because it's not a government placing an undue burden on the woman, right? Because the private citizen would be the one to sue. So theoretically, we could see a situation where the Supreme Court does nothing related to this Texas law until October. In October, the Supreme Court is already scheduled to decide um, essentially whether or not to uphold Roe v. Wade, right? Because of a similar law in the state of Mississippi, in the state of Mississippi that has banned abortions after 15 weeks. This has been challenged. Um, This is all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court agreed to hear it, whether or not this Mississippi law violates Roe v. Wade. The current Supreme Court justices have a responsibility and a duty to overturn it. Uh, That is the case with Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade is obviously wrong. The Supreme Court should obviously overturn it. Now remember, the the basis of Roe v. Wade is that um, a woman has a constitutional right to an abortion because somewhere in the 14th Amendment, we're not sure where because it doesn't actually exist, there is a constitutional right to privacy, the left tells us, and that apparently encompasses a constitutional right for a woman to kill and dismember her child in utero. Again, you and I have both read the Constitution. We know it's not there. This then was codified even further in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which uh, stated that the state could not place an undue burden on a woman, meaning they could not ban any abortions uh, before viability. Now, viability, as we both know, is um, not a scientific term so much as a marker of our human medical advances or lack thereof, because viability shifts based on our medical advances. It used to be 30 weeks, then it was 26 weeks, then it was 25 weeks, now it's 23 weeks. Now baby, as early as 20 weeks gestation, has lived because of medical intervention. So viability is not actually a scientific term. It's just a marker of how advanced we are medically. But the Supreme Court essentially wants to use that very scientifically imprecise word to define the humanity of the unborn child. So that's the background of Roe v. Wade. But Roe v. Wade itself, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, but Roe v. Wade itself is wrong. It's wrong because it pretends to be constitutional law, but it's not. Even the uh, law clerk for the Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackmun, who wrote the majority opinion in Roe v. Wade, his law clerk, Edward Lazarus, who is pro-abortion himself, said the following, quote, As a matter of constitutional interpretation and judicial method, Roe borders on indefensible. Justice Blackmun's opinion provides essentially no reasoning in support of its holding, and in the years since Roe's announcement, no one has produced a convincing defense of Roe on its own terms. Every time I read that, and I read that just about every year uh, around the anniversary of Roe v. Wade in January, every time I read that, I'm just struck that even the law clerk of the Supreme Court justice who wrote the majority ruling in Roe v. Wade knows that it's a farce, knows that there is no constitutional right to abortion. And there's a Yale law professor named John Hart Eli who, like Lazarus, supports legalized abortion, but legislatively. Eli says, quote, what's frightening about Roe is that this super protected right is not inferable from the language of the Constitution. The framers' thinking respecting the specific problem in in issue, any general value derivable from the provisions they included or the nation's governmental structure. It's bad because it's bad constitutional law, or rather, because it's not constitutional law and gives almost no sense of obligation to try to be. In other words, Roe v. Wade is the worst piece of constitutional law in history that has ever come from the Supreme Court. There is no right to abortion, in this so-called right to privacy in the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment, by the way, says, nor shall the state deprive any person of the right to life, 
liberty, or property without due process of law. So please, legally, tell me, where is the right for a woman to kill her unborn child or an abortionist to kill a child in a woman's womb? Where is that in the 14th Amendment? It obviously doesn't exist. We shouldn't even, that's why you'll notice that the pro-abortion left doesn't even have this argument anymore. They don't even engage in debate. They don't even pretend that abortion is constitutional anymore. They just want it to be legal up until the moment of birth anyway. They won't engage in any kind of constructive discussion about this because they know they're wrong. They know that it's not constitutional. AOC had the same problem. She was on television and she starts referring to people in Texas who will be affected, she says, by this bill. And of course, who is going to be affected by this? Well, women. Women is what she wants to say. And she starts saying woman. Um, and then she she changes it. She goes, women, I, I, I mean, menstruating people, people who menstruate. Alexandria, who menstruates? Think back to third grade health class, fourth grade biology class, fifth grade sex ed class, who menstruates? Yes, that's right, people with uteruses. Who are people with uteruses? Women, women. That's right, women. The like I said, the funniest part here is just mocking these leftists because they're ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. Um, the problem here is what they're doing, so we can laugh at them and we can mock them, and we should, they deserve it. However, what they're doing is they're trying to dehumanize the baby. They're trying to shift the conversation away from the heart of the matter in order to dehumanize the child growing in its mother's womb because if you don't dehumanize the child, then it's impossible to kill the child. This has happened throughout the course of history, whether we're talking about unborn children or any other people that has been oppressed, has been uh, killed, has been subjugated, anything. There's always dehumanization that happens first. So we see this strategy being deployed by the left. They're dehumanizing the baby. And so... This is what every pro-lifer, every conservative, every Republican on any venue should be asking. Is the unborn child a human being? Is this a life inside the mother? If we ask this question and force the left to answer on our terms, to play on our home field, to play by science, then we're going to get a lot further in the court of public opinion. And, and here's the answer, by the way. So if we're talking about is the unborn child a person there's not a lot of argument, even from the left, that an unborn child is not a person. It's scientifically known that life begins at conception. There are a few people, and I'll show you who in just a moment, who are denying this. But mostly, even abortion activists don't deny that the unborn baby is a person. They just avoid the conversation because they don't want to concede that scientific fact. But here is the science of the thing. So there's a guy named Steve Jacobs. He, uh, during his graduate, not his graduate, his PhD study at the University of Chicago, his thesis was about what information actually changes people's minds on abortion. He wasn't, he wasn't advocating for one position or another. He was just, he was just asking from a scientific standpoint, um, what is it that changes people's minds? So he conducted a scientific survey in two parts to figure out this question. The first part were um, 2,899, to be exact, American adults were surveyed, and 81% of these 2,899 American adults said that biologists, academic biologists, were the most qualified people uh, to answer the question of when a human's life begins. They were given options about religious clergy. They were given options about a woman. They were given options, you know, about who exactly is the most authoritative person to answer the question of when does a human life begin. 81%, which is an overwhelming majority in the statistical world, said biologists were the most qualified. Um, and by the way, the underpinning of this is 
83% of abortion activists or even just people who are pro-abortion said that they believed that the support for legal abortion would decrease if it became common knowledge that fetuses, their words, fetuses are biological humans at fertilization. So the abortion lobby, in other words, wants to hide from you the scientific truth that life begins at conception. They want to hide, not not necessarily from you and I, because we know this, but they want to hide from the public at large who uh, doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily active in the pro-life movement. They want to hide the scientific fact because the overwhelming majority believe that if this were common knowledge, support for legal abortion would go down. It's pretty significant. So the second part of Jacob's survey, after he established that the majority of people, 80% of people, believe that academic biologists are the authoritative source on when life begins, he surveyed 5,502 academic biologists. These are people from all around the world, not just our country. And he asked these biologists the questions. The question, when does a human life begin? 95% of these biologists answered, life begins at conception. 5,212 out of 5,502. Does that give you the chills or what? This has established Steve Jacobs, and I, I've met this guy. He did really good work. Um, I talk about his, his, his research a lot because I think it's such a powerful tool for people in the pro-life movement, regardless of whether you're Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal. This is such a powerful tool because it illustrates people's mindset and how to actually get to the root of how to change hearts and minds. But again, this all comes back to the fact that leftists try to dehumanize the baby, the unborn baby, because that's the only justification then for killing that unborn child. But when you actually dive into it, if people know that life begins at conception, if they believe that, if they're told that by what they believe is an authoritative source, it changes their mind on abortion. Now, rewinding just a second, let's take a small journey back when I said that most leftists don't contest the idea that life begins at conception, that that unborn child is a life from the moment that a sperm fuses with an egg. However, there's one person who is contesting that, but late in his life, he did not originally contest this idea. I'm talking about President Joe Biden. President Joe Biden um, in 2015 said something very different than what he's saying now. So first I want to tell you what Joe Biden is now saying. He's now saying that he doesn't agree that life begins at conception. Take a listen. I respect people who think that who don't support Roe v. Wade. I respect their views. I respect them, they, those who believe life begins at the moment of conception and all. I, I respect that. Don't agree, but I respect that. I'm not gonna impose that on people. He doesn't agree. Well, why is that? What evidence do you have that it's not a life? What's changed your mind? Biden doesn't tell us, but back in 2015, he said that he was prepared to accept the scientific fact. Take a listen. I'm prepared to accept that the moment of conception is human life and being. So let me tell you what's happening here. What's happening here, the reason that Biden changed his mind is because he's now surrounded by rapidly, rapidly pro-abortion activists. We're talking Kamala Harris, we're talking Javier Becerra, we're talking about some of the most pro-abortion tied to Planned Parenthood politicians in our entire nation. So Biden is surrounded by those folks. Those folks are pushing him, not just to look the other way on abortion, not just to kind of toe the party line, but you know, walk along. They are pushing him to actively make abortion part of his platform, to use the full power of the federal government, not just to allow abortion, but to encourage it, to expand access, to make it as prevalent and non-stigmatized, unstigmatized as possible. They want him to be an abortion champion. Now, Joe Biden cannot do this if he acknowledges that life begins at conception. So what he's doing is he's denying reality 
in order to dehumanize the unborn child because that's the only way that he's going to be able to politically push abortion the way that the rabidly pro-abortion politicians around him, Kamala, Becerra, and others, are pushing him to do. You can see it happening. You can see the reverse of what we want to happen, but you can see it happening on Joe Biden. Now, I like Bambi, and I think you will too, because small business owners, have you ever had an issue with employee attendance? Have you ever had an employee altercation in the workplace, maybe? Have you ever been confused on how to handle a situation with an employee, or have you ever had employee performance issues? Well, the bad news here is that one complaint against your company can turn your world upside down. The good news is Bambi is here to help small business owners implement good HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses just like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR autopilot automates your core policies. I'm talking workplace training and employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance. Now, these dedicated HR managers are available by phone, by email, or by real-time chat if you need them. An in-house HR manager like this can cost up to $80,000 a year, but with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month. No hidden fees. You can cancel anytime you run your business. Let Bambi run your HR. Go to Bambi.com slash Liz right now for your free HR audit. You have to use my URL. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Liz. Bambi.com slash Liz. And I know that it's not just going to be the group of us meeting in Washington, D.C. every year, that when the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, in a post-Roe America, the fight is going to be in each and every one of our states and each and every one of our backyards, especially if we live in a red state. Because the blue states, they're immediately going to legalize abortion. But the red states, that's all of a sudden, the red states are going to be the object in Planned Parenthood's eye. They're going to say, this state, maybe it's Alabama, maybe it's Georgia, maybe it's Texas. Planned Parenthood is going to say, Abortion's not legal there. Focus on that. And so all of a sudden in our backyard, we're going to have this fight. And the, fir- and the first thing we must do to win a fight is win hearts and minds. We have to change the culture first because politics is downstream of culture. So it's up to you. It's up to me. It's up to an honest analysis of what this fight is. This is the final fight for freedom. The final remedy. The final founding Once we have restored the rights of the unborn, then our founding documents will be applied in our nation as they were intended. Because we've been around for over 250 years and we still aren't applying the Constitution as it was written. But once we do, then our nation can prosper. Then we can live up to our potential. Then the lives of these unborn children can blossom in our nation instead of our country becoming what's essentially a graveyard of unborn babies. And you and I, I mean, at that march yesterday, I could not stop smiling the whole day because even though this is a tremendously heavy topic, this is a tremendously sad topic, knowing that all of us are out there fighting together, knowing that all of us are being the voice for these sweet babies, that we're here because we mean business, I know we're gonna win this fight. Because think about the context of this. It's so easy to focus on the leak because the leak is unprecedented, because the leak is a deliberate political tactic, which was obviously coordinated at some level based on the response, the coordinated response from leftist senators, sitting U.S. senators calling to abolish the filibuster, to codify Roe v. Wade, to pack the Supreme Court, all in the same evening. But the leak 
is a distraction from what this actually means. I mean, sitting here, I said this at the beginning, but sitting here, I literally feel like this this out-of-body experience because if we are so fortunate to be part of the post-Roe generation, even that, in a sense, sounds trite because let me just take you on this journey of what my where my mind has been this evening. So when I first saw this tweet, when I, I actually saw this as a tweet, believe it or not, when I first saw this as a tweet, I saw it from the blaze before I even saw the political article. And I texted it to my producer and I actually said, well, this seems kind of weird that this tweet isn't accompanied by an article or anything else that I just saw the tweet. And obviously, before he even had a chance to respond, I saw the political piece and <laughs> the whole thing came to fruition. But my my first reaction to this was, I don't believe this. I, I, I don't think that this is true. I don't think this is, is going to happen. I, I don't think this is a real draft because of the enormity of, of what it is. And what it is, is so often, even pro-lifers like myself don't talk a lot about abortion. You could probably count how many times we've, how many times we've discussed abortion on this show, and it's a fractional number. It's, it's a very small number. It's probably under 5% of the episodes I talk about abortion, even though I think that the right to life is the fundamental right. Without the right to life, all other rights become obsolete. And abortion is the killing of an unborn life. I mean, this is the human rights abuse of our lifetime. And it, it, it's, it's what I call my pet topic. It's the topic that I'm most passionate about. It's the topic where I think the fight between good and evil at, at the physical, the moral, and the spiritual level comes to fruition. And if I could, I would talk about abortion in every single episode. I would focus a lot more time than I do talking about abortion. And the reason that I don't is because people don't like to hear about it. Now, now hear me out with what, what I'm saying here. People don't like to hear about it. And the people who don't like to hear about it are actually pro-lifers. And I understand this. Pro-lifers don't like to talk about it because we understand or don't like to hear about it all the time because we actually understand the what it is of the abortion procedure. We understand that a life begins at conception and that's a fully, it's, it's a fully human child in the mother's womb. And then the abortion procedure either su- essentially suffocates, it deprives the child of nutrients, it's pulls the child apart limb from limb, it injects poison into the baby's heart to induce a heart attack, or it crushes the baby's skull and sucks out the brain. And I say these words, again, feeling somewhat outside of my body because it's really hard to fathom that that happens so often in our nation, that thousands of times a day, little babies are killed for convenience. And that we have allowed this for decades to happen in our country. That over 60 million babies, as beautiful as my daughter, have been killed. And the leak, the leak is a distraction from the enormity of what this is. That if our work, decades of prayer and compassion and legislative activity and PR in a sense, trying to talk to people, discuss with people, change people's hearts and minds, reach out to women in crisis pregnancies, reach out to fathers and encourage them 
in active fatherhood to humanize these babies and love them and elevate them to the position of value that they hold in our society. This, it, it all comes down to this. Just like these nine justices, different justices, but in the same positions, with a stroke of the pen, took away the right to life for those 60 million babies. These justices are on the verge of restoring that right, of saving these children. And you see what we're up against when you see the reaction of the left. You see, I don't even know how to describe it aside from you see this battle between life and death. The actual spiritual battle between good and evil taking place in our politics. When you see the entire radical left, no, no, hold, no holds barred, just dropping everything and doing a full court press for abortion. And this, this like I said, the pro-life movement, the pro-life cause, protecting these babies was the reason that I got involved in politics. This was the first, the first policy, the first thing where I thought, this is injustice. This cannot be. We, and if it is, we have to stop it. We have to fight for these people. That was 17 years ago. Maybe you're listening and you say 17 years. I've been fighting for 30 years. I've been fighting for 40 years. I've dedicated my life to this. This is what we're, this is what we're on the cusp of. And if you're Christian, like I am, then you zoom out and look at our nation and you think, how can God bless a nation? or continue to bless a nation, because I believe God did bless our nation at the beginning. How can God continue to bless a nation that slaughters their children? How can God bless a nation that perpetually celebrates child sacrifice? We can't win as long as abortion is legal. And I'm not just talking about the legislative level. I'm talking about the reason that we institute government. The reason that we institute government in the way that we did in our country was to protect people and to recognize that God gave us rights like life, liberty, and property, and that a government has no authority to take those rights away, and that the purpose of that government is to protect people from violation of those rights. And we can't win, meaning a nation with this governmental structure can't survive if we systemically violate one of those core tenets, if we systemically use a government to violate the right to life. And th this has been part of my, my prayers for our country for a long time because I recognize this. I recognize that God cannot and will not continue to bless us if we allow this. And then I think about those babies as much as I can. And I will, I will admit to you that during my pregnancy with my daughter, 
when I'd go in for an ultrasound and I'd see, I'd see her on the screen, I didn't have a reaction the way that some women describe it, where you see that baby and you become more impassioned about the fight. I saw her on that screen, saw her little fingers and toes, saw her swimming around, heard her little heartbeat each and every time, and it made it harder for me to fight against abortion. It made it harder because it made it more real. Because I knew what I felt for her when she was so tiny, when she was inside, when she was vulnerable to what the left would call my choice. And it made it harder for me to watch videos like David Delayden's. It made it harder for me to see the graphic imagery that we see that some pro-lifers hold up. It didn't make me feel more impassioned to be a part of that. It made me feel that it was, well, more difficult because I couldn't wrap my mind around the pain and the suffering and the evil and the brokenness that abortion is. Now, I like cozy earth sheets because they address a problem many of us have. So let me ask you a question. How did you sleep last night? Now, if you answered this question, not so great, or just okay, or do not ask, well, you're not alone, my friends. One out of every three Americans reports being sleep deprived, and your sheets could be part of the problem. That's why I like cozy earth sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. The solution? Cozy Earth Sheets. They are the softest, most luxurious, and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud, which makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows Cozy Earth Sheets to breathe so that you sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. Cozy Earth even offers a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, try it out. If you're not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. Our audience, you can now receive 35% on Cozy Earth. You can save 35% on Cozy Earth Bamboo Bedding. 35%, that's a great deal. Just go to CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. You do have to hurry. This offer ends soon. It's CozyEarth.com slash L-I-Z-3-5. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. The left is shameless. Anna Navarro tweeted, I gotta bring this tweet up too, hold on. She tweeted, my best friend is a gay man. He called me this morning asking, how can the Supreme Court do this? I thought established law meant they couldn't go back and overturn things that have already been decided. Does this mean we have to be worried the rest of our lives? And she said, good question. So two responses to this. First of all, if the Supreme Court could not overturn precedents that was wrong when it originated, its original ruling, then it would literally still be legal right now in the United States for public schools to be segregated by race. Black children would be separated from white children based only on the color of their skin. Think about that. That's what Anna Navarro is suggesting, that the Supreme Court has no right to overturn quote-unquote settled law. What would our nation look like if the Supreme Court had no right to overturn settled law? We would have segregation. We'd have racial segregation in our country. It would be legal to separate kids based on the color of their skin, to discriminate against children based on the amount of melanin that they have in their skin. If that isn't the most, I mean, it, it's really just this like very intellectually shallow, it's, it's, it's really a dumb argument. Like if you, can't, if, if, if you can't see that, if you don't understand that, if you were so ignorant about history that you would posit such a thing, then you shouldn't be a political commentary or commentator. The other part of this is, is her friend may have been talking about gay marriage. She may have been talking about um, the, the Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage. 
and saying, do I have to worry the rest of my life? Well, you only worry if you think that that ruling was not constitutionally grounded. So if you think it wasn't constitutionally grounded, then yeah, go ahead and worry because the Supreme Court can and should overturn rulings that are unconstitutional. Then we have Elizabeth Warren. I have never seen Elizabeth Warren like this. I have never seen her. I mean, she's actually freaking out. I am angry. Angry and upset? Angry and upset and determined. The United States Congress can keep Roe versus Wade the law of the land. They just need to do it. I, I've never seen you so angry. You seem to be. This is what the Republicans have been working toward this day for decades. They have been out there plotting, carefully cultivating these Supreme Court justices so they could have a majority on the bench who would accomplish something that the majority of Americans do not want. 69% of people across this country, across this country, red states and blue states, old people and young people, want Roe versus Wade to maintain you as the law of the children land. In the we need to we're do not, that. We're not and we have a right. Extremists, we've heard enough from the extremists. And we're tired of so first of all, she's lying, just so you know. 80% of Americans, 80% want third trimester abortion to be banned. 60% of Americans want second trimester abortion to be banned. Abortion, obviously, is not about women's health. It's it's not about health at all. It's not health care. Abortion ends the life. It, it stops the beating heart of a growing, thriving human baby inside its mother's womb. There's no constitutional right to kill babies. We all know uh, that is the case. But I have never seen Elizabeth Warren so agitated, so angry. It's like she didn't actually believe that the Supreme Court would or will overturn Roe v. Wade. And this is such a, a, a critical part of the democratic apparatus, the democratic monetary, uh, monetary financial apparatus, where they get money, where they give money, um, their, their activism arm, the way that they subjugate women, the way that they, they, they keep women who are in, in tragic situations um, loyal to the Democratic Party. This is such a, a foundational policy of the Democratic Party to abuse women, to get them to be loyal to Democrats that um, Elizabeth Warren is freaking out because she sees that this is all about to fall down. Um, and then she, she tweeted, she doesn't waste an opportunity here. She tweeted, end the filibuster, codify Roe v. Wade with a national law, protecting abortion rights, expand the Supreme Court, stop this horrifying injustice in its track. And when I read this, I thought, this is interesting because the funny thing is, if Harry Reid, who was a Democrat, obviously, had not abolished the judicial filibuster in the first place, setting the precedent for Republicans to do the same thing, play by the same rules. If, as I said yesterday, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg had actually retired instead of not retiring and then dying on the job, and if the Democrats, including Elizabeth Warren, had not gone full Christine Blasey Ford on Kavanaugh, which convinced uh, Collins to vote for Kavanaugh, then this ruling would be very different. This probably wouldn't have happened at all. So um, Elizabeth Warren freaking out. This was begot of the left, Elizabeth Warren's own party, that behavior from the left. And then, of course, we have S.E. Cup, a CNN contributor who, like Anna Navarro, claims to be a Republican. But I actually don't know one policy on which S.E. Cup is actually conservative or Republican. She always agrees with Democrats. She goes... How would the right feel if D.C. versus Heller, Citizens United, or Hobby Lobby were overturned? Faith in the judicial branch of government is totally eroded if the highest court in the land makes a landmark ruling and then overturns it because of politics. 
Well, my question is the same is my is the same question as I have for Anna Navarro. By this standard, did Brown versus Board of Education did that erode faith in the Supreme Court? Of course, it didn't. That actually increased faith in the Supreme Court because they were willing to say we got something wrong and we're going to overturn it because right is right regardless of precedent. And should the Supreme Court have refused to overturn Plessy due to the fact that it, it was precedent for so long before Brown versus Board of Education actually overturned it? even though Plessy was unconstitutional, obviously unconstitutional to begin with. I mean, these, these, these leftists, whether they're leftists who claim to be Republican in order to get CNN gigs, whether they are very radical leftists like Elizabeth Warren, they're freaking out. So it's after midnight here and after what's been one of the craziest news breaking cycles that I can remember in my entire lifetime, not just in, in the entirety of the time that I have been active in politics. Obviously, Politico reported on a draft of a majority opinion written by the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. This is the draft opinion in response to Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. This is what we've been waiting for since, I, I want to say since the oral arguments happened in December, because that's when we were talking about what will the Supreme Court do? How will they rule? Will they overturn Roe? Will they uphold Roe? Will they, will they thread this needle in a narrow way that upholds the law but doesn't overturn Roe v. Wade? Well, this draft opinion was leaked and... There's so much to say and so much to think about this that I, I, I don't know about you, but I actually feel like out of my own body, this is what we've been fighting for, for literally decades. The pro-life cause, I, I've been fighting for this since I was 15 years old. This is 17 years in the making, and I'm not even one of the OGs who have been fighting for the pro-life cause since since before the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade. So let's let's talk about this because there is much to be said. This is so surreal. A month ago, we sat down together right after the leaker at the Supreme Court leaked the draft majority opinion that showed us that Roe v. Wade was most likely going to be overturned. And it was unexpected to see that document from the leaker. Um, and because of that, it was a very emotional for everyone, but it was still just barely out of reach. It wasn't quite tangible. It wasn't concrete. It wasn't real. Until today, today it is real. The Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. They overturned Casey, which is Casey versus Planned Parenthood. It's the partner, um, it's the partner ruling to Roe versus Wade, and it's gone. 49 years after Roe v. Wade codified abortion into law across all 50 states in our country, it is over. It now goes back to the states and I don't know about you, but this is pretty surreal. It's pretty surreal. The 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 thing that was hitting me the most this morning was the historical significance of this because I feel like oftentimes the millennial generation, maybe even more so than Gen Z, but the millennial generation, we struggle with purpose, we struggle with meaning, we struggle with what our place is in in the world, in our country, maybe even in our families, our communities, our own lives, um, because we enjoy such prosperity that was begot by the greatest generation fighting socialism and Nazism and communism all over the world and enshrining the freedom that we enjoy um, to produce this prosperity, we kind of struggle with self-identity. But now we are actually witnesses to the most incredible historical development in, in our lifetime. We are, we've been part of this. We've been fighting for this since the day the Supreme Court invented um, this, this quote-unquote right to abortion in the Constitution. And our nation is going to change. Our, our laws are certainly going to change. Our lives are certainly going to change. And the rulings, the ruling is very interesting. It was a 5-3-1 ruling, meaning five justices ruled to overturn Roe, three justices ruled to uphold Roe, and then one justice 
silly little Roberts, the Chief Justice, he uh, also ruled to uphold Roe, but also uphold the Mississippi law that would have banned abortion at 15 weeks. This is what Alito writes. He goes, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights that are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and implicit in the concept of ordered liberty. This fight, Roe v. Wade being overturned, this is not the end of the road. This is just the beginning. And my goodness, are we honored to be fighting this fight together. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.